Okay, Google, play the Sideline Hustle podcast. Sure, the Sideline Hustle football podcast. Here's where you left off. What's going on, everybody? This is your host, Drew Lieberman. I'm slow packing. <laughs> Our days here are numbered. Even the way we've come up in the world, think about it. We've created the website ourselves. We've made this podcast ourselves. Like everything's been done just by us hustling. And you are now listening to the Sideline Hustle Podcast. We talk about doing this show. Yeah, we, we laugh and we joke and we complain about how hard we work. But if we didn't love to coach, we wouldn't be doing it. I want the good guys in. Get them out of there. I want the good guys in. To me, I think we're broadcasting the day-to-day life of what college football is. From the sidelines, we gotta hustle cause we gotta eat. From the sidelines, we got some goals that we still gotta reach. What's going on? Welcome to the Sideline Hustle Podcast. This is your host, Drew Lieberman, and we have a really, really special episode today. Uh, this is one of my favorite all-time episodes that I think we've recorded so far. Uh, on the show today, we have Muhammad Masakwa, who is a former University of Georgia wide receiver, was drafted in the second round in 2009 by the Cleveland Browns, um, and just really tells an unbelievable story. He, he goes through his entire football journey from high school in Charlotte, North Carolina, where he played with uh, former Florida quarterback back Chris Leak, uh, University of North Carolina wide receiver Hakeem Nix, who also played for the New York Giants. And that team did not lose a single game in four years. Uh, and then from there, he, he he went to the University of Georgia, had a great career at Georgia, which drafted in the second round, like I said, uh, was the Browns' leading receiver as as a rookie in the NFL. Played for four years for the Browns and bounced around for a couple years. And, you know, according to him, his, his body just kind of broke down. Um, but just his football journey, his insight uh, into, he, you know, he really compares the difference between being a college football player to an NFL player, the adjustments he had to make, the resources that are available now versus then, uh, the way social media has affected things like just just, just a really, really great interview. Um, and then Mo recently, about a year ago, April 2017, uh, was involved in a tragic ATV accident where he actually ended up losing four fingers uh, on one of his hands and had to have four fingers amputated. And you know, it's something that that has obviously affected his life his life tremendously. Um, but he's using it for good. I think he's using it for for kind of a higher purpose. Where now he, he's an advocate uh, for for people going through a similar situation. He's he's using it as a way to become a motivational speaker, and and he's he's creating a charity for. For kids that that also need prosthetics so that they can get those prosthetics paid for and just just really a great story all around and some great insight like like talk about a guy who, who knows his stuff who's well spoken and and just gave some some unbelievable answers to kind of the things we talked about so check out this interview right here it's it's, it's really great you can follow Muhammad on Twitter and Instagram at Iron Massaqua and uh, I will have the handle and his website in the episode description so just look at the links below but definitely check him out and follow his journey this is a guy that I hope we can stay in touch with for for a long time to come and have back on the show in the future. So hope you guys enjoy. So, you know, like I said, I just want to kind of go through your journey. You know, I, I, I was looking, doing some research with you online. You played played high school ball in, in Charlotte, North Carolina, where you played with Florida quarterback Chris Leak and, and Hakeem Nix, who was with North Carolina and then for the Giants. And you guys won four straight championships, didn't, didn't lose a game. Let's kind of start there. You know what what that was like playing with two you know great players and having so much success in high school must have been an incredible experience. It, it was special. It all starts with our head coach Tommy Knox. He's going on to win ten championships all in his uh, high school coaching career. We we had a run that was I think was impressive. Uh, 107 games in a row. 
and seven wow. straight championships. And it was one of those things that we just, it's cliche to say, but we expected to win. And mm. everything that we did was geared towards competition and how could we, you know, beat the team that we would play. So yeah. we went into every game with the mindset of not, you know, is this going to be a win or lose, but how are we going to win this game? It paid off for us. What, what do you feel like developed that mindset? Was it like the, the way you guys practice, the way you prepare? Like, how do you think that was built? Well, he was, our, our coach was just very, very anal, attention to detail. He, a guy that if, if you look to him uh, physically, he, he passes the eye test. Mm. I remember watching him batch 225 20 times. Uh, he never wore pants, even in the cold weather. So he just had this very hard-nosed mindset. We had coaches on the team that had military backgrounds. So with that, and they, they came in with their combat boots and their fatigues and everything. So it wasn't necessarily militaristic, but it was just a very, very high level of, hey, we're going to get this done. We're going to do it right. And we're going to have a lot of fun in the process. That's great, man. I, uh, I'm coaching now at, at Don Bosco Prep in New Jersey. I don't know if you've heard of it. One okay. of like one of the more prestigious programs, you know, in the country. They they won two national championships in, the, in, in like 2010, 2009, 2011, um, and like was really one of the first schools to play out of state games. Where Coach Toll, the, the former head coach, was one of the first high school coaches to, to bring his team out of state. And I remember he went to go play California in like the early 2000s. But they're known as like a really legendary program. And a guy who I worked for at Rutgers was the offensive coordinator at at Bosco and went 48 and one in his career, uh, which is you know obviously impressive there. But I've never heard of anything like you were That's saying, 100. 107 straight games without losing is, is insane. That's, that's unbelievable. Yeah, I, I want to say behind uh, De La Salle, we, we have the, they're, they're a private school, so they have the longest win streak of, of any college football team or any high school football team. We have the longest public school win streak at a, it's either 107 or 109 games. I'm not sure. Wow. And you guys were a public school? We're a public school. Wow. Yeah, so a lot of, a lot of the guys that, that came, they all came through the the junior ranks, and we all happened to end up at the same school together. And were you were you born and raised in, in North Carolina? Yep, born and raised Charlotte, North Carolina, Carolina Medical Center. That's great. And so, so during that process, I guess when when was it apparent to you that you individually were a great player, and when, when did you start getting recruited and start getting noticed by by some of the colleges? Oh, really? Chris Leak had a lot to do with just putting us on the map. He was one of those guys that was the number one recruit in just the country. So when you have Bobby Bowden come to town and every coach from everywhere, Pete Carroll flying in on jets and everything, it brings a lot of attention to the program after the fact that we, we had the win streak going on. And it was just an exciting time. So you learn, I learned how to how to play, how to prepare, what it was like before I ever had to step foot into it just by watching other people. We had a guy, uh, had a couple guys go to, to D1 during that era. So you're constantly seeing and engaging with college coaches way before you're even good enough. I was probably like 150 at the time, just watching it all go down and I said, okay, if I want to get there, these are the things that I have to do based off of what these other people have done before me. Yeah, that's awesome. That's such a blessing to have like like role models like that to kind of model yourself after. For you know, sure. Like, I think you needed it every avenue. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 100%. It's so hard for some young kids, especially depending on like their background. Like we have a lot of kids at Bosco from like the inner city and Bosco, like I said, is like an historic program. So they have some role models to look after, but if they weren't able to get out of where they came from and, and make it to, to the school, you know, I don't know. There would be kids who had 
they'll have D1 talent who may never make it because they have nothing to model themselves after. Yeah, for sure. I 100% agree. I yeah. think the only difference in, in this era is that with Instagram and social media, YouTube, right. the kids are able to see what other other kids are doing and how other kids look. We were just in our, our Charlotte bubble until we got outside and started to go to camps and Right. That other stuff. That's a great point too with the Instagram. I got something that, you know, my business is kind of based off of and it's been so exciting for me that I can post a, a receiver that's really, or I can post a video that's really diving deep into receiver play and, you know, it's, it's I can affect a thousand kids across the country. You know, that, that, that little video, that little technique might make them a better player. It's so, it's, it's thrilling for me because, you know, I started coaching because I love helping kids and, and using football to make them better. But as a receiver's coach, you generally only help, you know, 12, 15 kids at a time, whoever's in your room. It's awesome being able to use social media to affect thousands of kids, you know, with one post or in a week. Like it's, it's, it's really cool now in, in the modern age how, how that can affect kids. Yeah, for sure. I, I agree. And even with kids going viral off of one play and yeah. different things, it's a lot easier to get noticed. Um, it's a lot easier to get noticed, but it's probably a lot harder just because there's so many kids out there that are all accessing the same thing. Yeah. And the other, the other thing that's different to deal with now is kids, I think, get, all, get noticed so much earlier. We have a kid who was offered, yeah. offered by Alabama, Georgia, you know, Ohio State when he was a freshman in, in high school. And now, you know, dealing with that when he was offered by as a 14-year-old is, is so different. He's not ready for that kind of attention. You know, he still has to grow up. He still has to become tough and, and stay humble, and it's hard. To keep a kid like that humble, you ask him to do all these, all this stuff, you know, for the good of the team. And and I think at, at times when it gets tough, it's easy for a kid to be like, "And why am I doing this?" Like Nick Saban just called me. Yeah, I, I think a lot of kids are gonna get set up for failure just because they have to. The pressure of performing, and the pressure of staying, and the pressure of just developing when you're that young, right? Your right. body's not even fully there. So for yeah. some kids, they, they may struggle. When, when did you receive your first scholarship offer? Either during my sophomore year or right after my sophomore year. It was either like towards the, or during the, it might have been like right after the football season or in the spring of my mm -hmm. sophomore year. One or two came from Carolina. Carolina. Um, and Car yeah, Carolina. It's one of those those places that everyone wants to go. Unfortunately, right. they just they just weren't there at, at the, the time from uh, where the program needed to be able to go there. And when when did, did Georgia kind of come into the mix? I think Georgia offered me maybe during my junior year, probably similar time at end of end of my junior year, start of uh, end of my junior football season. That, that spring after junior football season. It was one of those things that at, at that time, I was fortunate to have offers starting to come in from, from a lot of different places. So when you're trying to basically educate yourself on who's who, either before like all the TV contracts and before, you know, kids knew so much about all these different programs for what their facilities look like and everything, you kind of just tried to take it all in and eventually try to take a visit if it was close enough or wait to your official business started yeah and who did you know did you know kind of like right away that George, you were like man this is a place I, I think I could I could go to school I could be like like was it was it like pretty exciting for you right away when Georgia offered you you knew that was a place you might be able to end up no not not at the time just because I, I didn't know much about Georgia especially right. just from like a, a brand recognition I, I would tell people that Georgia offered and it's like Georgia Tech Georgia State Georgia Southern mm. you know so it just didn't at, at the time um the Georgia brand in North Carolina, that is, it wasn't as easily recognized, obviously. Now, everyone knows who Georgia is, aside from adding the tech or state or something on top of it. But at, at that time, I, I just didn't know, um, like, what the difference between, you know, does it make sense to go to Tennessee versus Georgia, or right. does it make sense to go to LSU or Florida or any other school, Florida State. There's so much information coming at you when you're in a position to 
start getting these scholarships that sometimes it can be a little overwhelming. So what, what was it that made you choose Georgia? When was it, when did that kind of click? Was it was it your visit? No, nah, a lot of people don't even know the story. But my high school quarterback, a guy named Joe Cox, who actually went to Georgia with me, he had an offer from Duke. And my best friend, we always, you know, joked about how cool it would be to go to the same school together. But we didn't know if it would, you know, be a realistic possibility just because of how the offers were coming in for us. And he was like, hey, I want to go down to Georgia on a tryout basis. They have a a camp um, that I can go to. Would you mind riding down with me? And I had my offer. This was the summer going into our senior year. And I was like, cool. You know, we'll, we'll go down there. I'll be a receiver. We'll catch and he just liked up the camp. They offer him, and he commits the next day. I got—I don't even know if we were back in Charlotte before he committed. Wow. And after that, he was like, hey, you know, we should go to Georgia together. And I'm like, Georgia? You know, we just went down there to, to go to camp. And we had been to a couple camps with it. We had gone to, like, NC State, Carolina. I had been to Florida, Tennessee, some other camps. And he was like, yeah, you know, just think about it. To have receivers graduate in this is the situation, and as I started to peel back the layers and like really look at Georgia, Georgia was only two and a half hours from Charlotte. Uh, great academic school, great athletic program. Both of the, the senior receivers were leaving. So it, it just made sense after I started to actually pay attention to the things that I need to pay attention to. That's cool. That's a really cool story, being able to play with your, your high school best friend and go to the same school. That's awesome. So based on like that experience, what – I guess what, you know, we talked about how social media has kind of changed things. Like, what advice would you give a kid now who's, who's got a lot of offers and, and kind of dealing with that in, in today's age? Not to look for the shiny stuff. Really, uh, a lot of these top-tier programs are going to offer similar stuff. Obviously, Georgia's the best in class, but, you know, if you're not able to go to Georgia, then, you know, when you talk about some of the other schools, they do offer, like, great options is going to Penn State that much different than going to Michigan or is Michigan that much different than Texas or Texas that much different than Florida State. You know, you're, you're starting to split apples on the experience. Once you get there, you, you can achieve a lot of your goals at a ton of these different schools. But is where you're going to be the most comfortable, where are you going to get coached to actually push you to be the best version of yourself and where are you going to have the best time doing it. And I think a lot of kids are like, oh, who has the new facility, who has, you know, the best uniforms, wherever the case may be, and they don't really make it off of an educated standpoint. Right. Because then when you're when, when you're stuck with a coach that you don't love or you chose a school for the wrong reason, it don't matter how cool your uniforms are if you're not enjoying yourself. That's a great point. So then, you know, you're at Georgia. Did you, did you end up starting right as as a freshman at Georgia? Like halfway through the season, yeah. I, I pulled my hamstring in, in camp and came on to the season. Like I think I got cleared the week before we played Boise, and Boise was was really good. That was a maybe like a if it wasn't a night game, it was approaching the night game. So it was a, it was a big deal. So from as a freshman, I, I just was not ready to start then. But as the season started to progress and work through I started to get more minutes and then I made my way into the starting lineup. Um, and what 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 were some of the you know what like as you think back, you had to name like, you know, two or three memories, what, what, what were like the, your favorite memories? Because you had so much success in Georgia, you played with Matt Stafford and you had such a high power offense and, and a great team. What were kinda of the, the things that stand out the most to you? Just in getting there, I think a lot of us kids don't understand like how good a lot of these players or how gifted a lot of these players are. You know, sometimes they don't know how to put it all together. 
but you're going to see some guys that you've never heard of that were four or five star players and they're extremely athletic. <laughs> they haven't figured out how to put it all together in terms of succeeding at their position, but just raw height, weight, speed, explosiveness. You're going to see some stuff and you're just going to be like, sheesh. Yeah. So from that aspect, I, I think that I remember that jumping out to me. Obviously, the, the big games when you, you know, beat the LSU and the Sugar Bowl, and not Sugar Bowl, but the SEC Championship, where you have a blackout game against Auburn. It's the first time you've worn black jerseys in school history. And then some of the things that stick out to me the most is just hanging out with teammates. Those, those guys become lifelong friends. No doubt. It's, it's interesting you mentioned that. Cause it's like when I look back at like, you know, I coached Division One football for four years, and I, I feel similarly. Where like, you remember the big games, like our first year in the Big Ten, we beat Michigan at home, and, you know, it was sold out, and the fans were on the field. And, like, you know, that's something you'll never forget. But, like, like you said, really, it's, it's the relationships. Like, I still, there are, you know, 10 to 12 players that I coached when I was there for, when I was at Rutgers that are still some of my good friends now that I'm still mentors to, some guys that play in the league that I train in the offseason. Um, then coaches as well, like, you know, they're moving around at different places, but it's so cool as a coach now to have, you know, I got 20 colleges and three pro teams that I get so excited to check the box score of every week because, you know, I have someone who's heavily involved in their success that I, that I spent a lot of time with. And those relationships are everything in football. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's, it's what the game's built up. So you spend, in sports, a lot of times you spend more time with teammates or your fellow coaches than you do your own family. So, 100%. you get to know these guys on an intimate, intimate level and because you're, you know, figuratively speaking, going to battle with them and you're seeing them under pressure, you're knowing, you know, who can I really count on, who's going to be a guy that I truly value their friendship and their experience with them and that lasts for life. And you, so you were talking about how, you know, there's there's some guys at, the, at you know, the top level schools that are super athletes, unbelievable talents, but don't, haven't necessarily figured out like the craft of the position. That's something I really want to dive in with you as, as a receiver's coach and you haven't been a great receiver. Like, you know, what, what about your game from a craft standpoint, like technical standpoint, do you feel like really helps you have success? Like what do you feel like your, your best skill set was uh, as a receiver? I just understanding how to run routes, um, understanding, you know, how to use quickness, how to use body leverage to, to get open. Like, I think that, that that was probably a, a strength of mine. So in in just the repetition of going against guys and you know working on your your footwork and working on getting in and out of breaks cleanly, working on you know coming back to the ball, things like that were, were things that led to the success. Yeah. Was there was there like a, a coach in particular, like a receivers coach you had that you felt like really kind of opened that up for you, like the, the nuances of the position and, and the technical aspects of the game that helps you kind of excel there? A guy named Brian McClendon, who he, he was a senior my freshman year, but at that point he was more, he was like a player coach. Mm. And then he came back my senior year. And those, those were my two best seasons. Just the, his ability to, to, to see what I needed to work on and to be able to articulate that in a way that made sense for me to understand, I, I think was a tremendous, tremendous value. Because sometimes you can work real hard, but you're not working as smart or as efficiently right. as you need to. And he was the guy that, that helped me uh, match the hard work with efficiency and doing things the right way. I think it's so cool now watching the receiver position as a whole kind of uh, kind of evolve where like, you know, it used to be five, six, seven years ago that everyone was looking for the biggest, tallest, fastest receiver. And now, you know, you got guys like Antonio Brown, like Keenan Allen, you know, DeAndre Hopkins. 
who aren't necessarily the biggest, the fastest, the strongest, but they're just the best route runners. You know, like Odell Beckham is not six foot five, two hundred and twenty pounds. You know, but they they they're so good at their craft, and, and I think it's so cool watching that become more valued because it it, it kind of you know you you had so many guys like the Darius Hayward Bays who came in and ran a four three, but wasn't the best like technician of a route runner and doesn't have you know the, a, a career that you know the number seven overall pick you know you think would have. And now there's so much more emphasis put on the craft. I think it's so cool as a receiver coach to see that kind of evolve. Yeah, and, and I'll elaborate on that a little bit more just because you have a guy like Antonio Brown and he went to the Pittsburgh Steelers, a great organization, and he has a guy like Hines Ward there. Mm. So you're able to see what it takes to be a great pro. And then DeAndre Hopkins goes to the Houston, Texas, and he has Andre Johnson there. He's able to see mm. what it has to, you know, takes to be a great pro. I want to say Hayward Bay went to the Raiders and, you know, that organization, especially during that, that time was, was somewhat dysfunctional. So Absolutely. You, sometimes situationally, you may have a guy that's very, very talented, but he just doesn't, he doesn't know what to do to refine the talent or how to watch them or how to use the skill set or, or what to do. Um, so there's certain guys that are, you know, so talented that they, that they just figure it out on their own or they have a, a really good vet that you may not know their name or, or they're playing with a good quarterback, things like that. But then you may have guys that they may bounce around and they just, they never figure it out. And it's not because they're not working hard. They just don't know how to be a pro. Right. And, and they're never lucky enough to kind of have that guy. It's something I think that the, the Patriots have been great at is that, you know, they, they've been able to get, like, maximize the talent they have. They're not, they've never been known other than Randy Moss and like, you know, Edelman and Welker, some of the slot guys, but they've never been known of having like the most talented receiving core. And it always seems like, obviously they have Tom Brady, but it always seems like as an organization, they're able to, to get the most out of those players from a developmental standpoint, you know, and that's what's led to a lot of their success. Yeah, but even a guy like Randy Moss, who put up great numbers, he had his best season in New England. So mm-hmm. it tells you something about even at the, the highest levels of who a guy I think is the most talented receiver ever to play the game. Once he gets in an environment and he was probably, you know, year 10, 11, wherever he was when he got there, being able to understand, okay, this is how I watch film. This is how I get open. This is how I do X, Y, Z. I'm with a really good quarterback. You know, the, the ball is going to be here. It makes a big, big difference. Yeah. It's, a, it's such a good point. It was, it's very interesting what you were saying. You, you were, you know, as a coach, I try to, like, I pride myself on, on, you know, trying to get the most out of my players. And, and like you were saying, kind of identifying what the, my kids are good at, what they need to work on, and putting them in positions to be successful and teaching them so much detail of the techniques that they can use all these tools to make themselves a better player. But you spoke a lot about kind of the veterans helping you more and a guy who, you know, who uh, John Andre Hopkins, who has a, an Andre Johnson to look up to, who has a Heinz Ward to look up to, you know, kind of that being a huge key to those guys' success. Kind of talk about like the difference, I guess, in learning from a veteran versus having a great coach and, you know, how I, I guess that there is a difference there in, in terms of development. Developing. Because the, the vet is going through it, which you can actually see it. He right. is... He's actually eating what he needs to eat. He's lifting the way he needs to lift. He's watching film the way he needs to watch film. He's practicing. So as you're taking all this in, uh, a coach can say, hey, you know, make sure you eat well tonight. Well, what does that mean? And, mm. and like actuality, hey, you know, make sure you get out of your breaks. What does that mean? But in being able to see it and see it consistently is something that I don't think that you can actually put a, a value on that. So it's it's special because you have a guy like DeAndre Hopkins. I think he's a top five receiver. AB is a top five receiver. Once you match that work ethic and that natural talent, and you just get a boost of learning how to do it 
in a way that the, the best pros do it, then it just takes you to another level. That you know, they're always going to be good players because they have a great foundation. Yeah, no, that's that's a good point. Is that being able to see it, and I think I think receivers too in general is one of the most undercoached positions a lot of places. Because like you said, I think a lot of coaches just say, "Hey, get out of your break faster." But it's like, what does that mean? And for me, I felt blessed. Yeah. Like I, I learned a lot from PJ Fleck. I don't know if you know who he is. But he's the head coach of Minnesota now, and he was the wide receivers coach at Rutgers. Uh, you know, like probably six, seven years before I got there. But they, you know, Rutgers kind of carried on the same system of of teaching the receiver position and they're you know for a school that didn't win a ton of big games in like you know the mid to late 2000s kind of after the Ray Rice era they produced so many NFL receivers um and I think a lot of it was because of how technical that system was and it's something that I've been felt blessed where like I, I, I'm around a lot of coaches and they're like I'll get out of your break faster but you know PJ Fleck teaches every he coaches every single step uh for, for example like we run routes off steps so like a curl route well he'll call like a 12 yard curl is, is you know tight break on your third inside step and even the tight break is you know drop one two three and every single step and and angle of your foot is coached and I just feel like getting that refined and that detail with receivers can really help because you're not just saying something vague like get out of your brakes you're giving that you're saying no turn your top foot you know at a little sharper angle so you can open your hips up and I think that being that specific helps guys really focus on what matters and, and improve some of their weaknesses mm-hmm I, I agree uh, yeah I, I agree I, I think it's is in any position in any position is, is so much more valuable just to be able to watch and learn the right way versus Passively going through. So I guess so now you know you get drafted in the second round. High expectations for you, you know, coming to the Browns. What was the biggest adjustment for you, you know, transitioning into the NFL? What were the biggest differences? Really, learning the game. Um, it's the same game, but it's so much more faster. The attention to detail is so different. You don't have class getting in the way. You don't have, um, you know, you're not on a university campus. It's truly like going to work. And, and learning a completely different system, getting familiar with a completely different city, teammates, everything like that. And then just learning how to take care of your body. You're, you're giving out so much energy and, and trying to replenish it with nutrition and weightlifting. It, it takes some time to do that. And what, like, what, what do you, was there something specifically? Was there someone in the NFL that kind of helped you learn that? Or was it just like a process, just acclimating yourself in general? Like, was there a moment where you felt like it kind of clicked for you and, and you felt like, all right, I, I belong here, I'm comfortable here now? Well, I think you're rookie year, you're, you're basically drinking out of a fire hose. Um, you're, <laughs> you're, you're watching other guys. You're, you're, you're trying to learn as much as you can from other guys. It's one of those things. It, everything happens so, so fast. It, you're going from, college to training, from training to combine, from combine to pro day, pro day to draft, draft straight to camp. Like after the draft to getting to Cleveland, Ohio, it's like a week. Well, in that time, you're basically packing up and doing everything and trying to figure out, you know, the logistics between everything else. So it, it, it happens fast. And then once you get there, you have guys that, once again, similar to Georgia that you've never heard of, 10 years in the league, you know, done very well. Uh, ultimate pros, they understand the games and you're trying to compete against them and learn as much as you can on, in the process. That's and then you ended up having like a pretty good rookie year. You were, you were, were you the, you were their leading receiver, the Browns leading receiver, if I read that correctly, your rookie year? Yeah, I was. That's awesome. What, uh, so I guess, what do you feel like, what about your mentality, um, you know, that was developed, I guess, in high school and through college? Like, what allowed, what do you feel like, as a football player, it allowed you to lock in, allowed you to have success at all these levels. You know, what about your mentality kind of unlocked that for you? You feel like it's really just embracing competition, like learning learning how to compete, learning how to um, perform under pressure, learning how to work 
within the confines of a team, learning how to embrace the role of, of coming in and being expected to perform a job. You're with Cleveland for, what, four years, four seasons? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and then did your, your contract expired, or and then you signed with Jacksonville? Is that that's how it went? Yeah, expired. Um, so then how, like, what was that? What was that kind of transition like moving to Jacksonville, and then uh, you were you were released, and this kind of with the Jets. Kind of talk about what, what you know how how that differs. It's kind of a different insight into what life is like for an NFL player. Obviously, the reality for a lot of players. What, what was that like? Well, it's it's just part of the journey. It, it's different than let's say college when you are. Are, you know, on scholarship when you have the you know chance to move around and free agency and different things like that, or you lay out a contract. You know, some guys choose to stay with cities, some, some guys leave, some guys just depending on where you are as a career. For me, at that point, I, I was struggling with injuries, so when I left Cleveland, I think my body was on its, its last leg. Do you feel like there's something you could have done better, I guess, to increase your longevity? Or do you feel like it's just you know kind of luck of the draw or, or genetic, like? Because obviously it's just such a toll. You're playing this violent game for so many years in a row. There's only so long anyone's body can hold up. I won't say genetic, um, as far as like it, it, some some injuries where guys may have like degenerative knees or something like that. But as a whole, look, the game is so physical. I think mm-hmm. knowing what I know now, I, I've learned a lot more about uh, stretching and nutrition and being pliable and what type of lifts make more sense for different positions. So had I had access to some of this information earlier on, potentially, um, but you just never know. I I had concussions and I don't know if there's anything to change, you know, concussion from a workout standpoint or, you know, any any standpoint. Yeah. So I I don't know. I I think sometimes it's just that the game is so physical that sometimes something can happen. Yeah, no, for sure. It's just, it, it interests me to think, to, to hear about how guys, how the differences in how guys take care of their bodies and train in the NFL. Like, a lot of the NFL guys, I, you know, obviously in college, most of the strength programs are, you know, lift as much as you can. You know, you're, you're trying to build toughness. You're trying to build grit. You're trying to become as strong and, you know, as as possible. And then a lot of guys I talk to in the NFL, they're, they're much more about maintenance and staying healthy and keeping their body pliable, like you were saying. Um, you know, was there a difference there for you, like a big difference in the way you trained from Georgia then to the NFL? For sure. You, you just train more. You you train with a, a different group of guys. Um, you, you fly to train. Yeah. So it's not like everything's housed all under the Georgia umbrella, the university umbrella. It is you're contracted to to go find ways to take care of your body. Yeah, which is interesting because I know like even now like there's like I was saying there's a couple Rutgers and guys that I coach with Rutgers that will will fly to Jersey and when they're here they'll you know we'll train together and I really try to focus just on like the craft of the receiver position and putting them in situations that you know it's an outside leverage corner you know here's how here's your you know let's practice these three releases and stuff like that but then they go like you said they fly other places to go you know get their muscles worked on to go work on speed and agility. Uh, which I think is, is fascinating. That is kind of the culture. There's not like some people do spend all their time in one gym, but but especially the receiver position, I feel like they, they a lot of the top receivers do tend to, to use five or six different resources around the country to get to get the most out of their training process. Well, that's, I think now. Um, yeah, I'm not right. sure what it was prior to. I, I think now we're talking almost ten years now in the mm-hmm. uh, advent of this new technology and the awareness of what other guys are doing, like before. There's no way to see, okay, what is Julio doing compared to AJ, compared to DeAndre Hopkins, 
you know, with people sharing more information now, it's a lot easier to be able to say, oh, you know, this guy's taking up yoga, maybe I need to take up yoga, oh, this guy hire a chef, maybe I need to hire a chef. Right. You just understand holistically what you need to do now to be at the top of your game. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great point. That's another thing that social media has helped with to bring that awareness. And even if you don't know, even if you're a receiver, you don't know Antonio Brown personally, you know, he might, he might bring, give you some insight on his Instagram story that, that, that can help you figure out, oh, okay, that's what he's doing. Maybe I should do the same thing, which is, which is kind of cool the way that's developed as well. For sure. Was there a part of your game, you know, going back to kind of the technical aspect that, that you were focused on improving or that you feel like really did improve in the NFL uh, that, that, that was different with that, that developmental process? I, I would say that as I understood how to work my body more, I think I was just more efficient at stuff, um, being more explosive, um, being able to get in and out of breaks more and being able to um, have conversations with guys on, on how to do different things uh, in the off season or one off conversations during during the season. I, I think those were some of the things that the access to pro information was a lot different than in yeah. college. So yeah. being able to leverage that um, was a lot different. That's interesting. Was there is there a difference in the way you're coached in college versus the NFL? Like I imagine I've never coached in the NFL, but I've always imagined that. You know, you're coaching a grown-ass man when you're in the NFL compared to, you know, an 18-year-old freshman. Is there a difference in the player-coach relationship at, at each place? Yeah, I mean, you're, you're, I mean, it's essentially a, a, I don't want to say kid, but you're, you're compared to a kid when you're in college and when you're in a pro, you're grown. So even what's tolerable, you know, you, if you have a bet, you're not going to be, you know, cussing the bet out or anything like that. That's, that's probably not going to happen in, in pros or, you know, in telling, a, telling the whole team to drop down and give up down or something like that. That's not going to happen. Yeah. It's just, it's just a different respect level. And because, you know, they, they can replace guys so quick. You can't replace the college kids. You can't be like, okay, I'm taking a scholarship during the season unless they do something to get their scholarship taken, like get in trouble or something like that or right. school related. Right. But if a guy's underperforming or something like that, you either find them or you cut them. It's not, they're going back and forth. Mm -hmm. So the, the dynamic is just different. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, what was I guess? What was life like immediately after football? What were kind of your focuses uh, as far as your career? What, what were you trying to trying to do? How, how were you growing as a person after that? So, for me, it was one taking time to, to heal and to rest and to get my body back, and then I transitioned over into Morgan Stanley as a financial advisor. That's great. That's that's really cool. You know. So, then, and then in, in April 2017, you had uh, you know a, a, a tragic accident on ATV. Ended up having you know four fingers amputated. Um, which, you know, as I said in the beginning, uh, just reading some of the stuff you've been you've been doing with the, the prosthetic you created and everything, and as tragic as it was, you know, if you if you believe that everything happens for a reason, it seems like it's hopefully bringing you to almost a higher calling that that can help a lot of people in a similar situation. I guess just kind of explain explain the incident and and how it's, how it's changed everything for you. Yeah, I mean, I I think on this journey of life, God doesn't make any mistakes, so this this is part of part of my um, obviously you don't want to lose any part of your body that you you know were born in into this world with or that's helped you do so many unique and interesting things it's just been one of those things that i, I can't say that it's while inspiring for a lot of people the journey is just going to continue 
and and hopefully along the way I, I can help as many people as possible hopefully along the way I can continue to just really grow and experience new things and uh, just continue to just enjoy living life yeah for sure and I guess talk, talk to me about the you know reading up you've created a, a one-of-a-kind prosthetic for for your hand and kind of talk to me in a little bit more detail about that and how, how you developed it and how you hope it will it will help you for going forward? So no, no, no. Uh, uh, for clarification, I, I wasn't the one responsible for um, putting it together. It's you know, people that have put tremendous research and time into uh, helping people like myself just have life after when things like this happen. So the company that's actually responsible for it is a company called Touch Bionics. They're they're part of the Ulster Group, and they just do great prosthetic work um, coming up with new technologies and custom fitting technologies and technologies that bring back a lot of the function uh, that was lost uh, before the amputation. It's unfortunate, but I hope that, you know, like you said, it's, it's something that is able to affect a lot of people, you know, in a positive way and something that will, you know, just help you continue to grow as a person. Um, like, what, what are you what are you looking forward to next? Like, what is your focus going forward as far as business and your career? Like, what's, what's on the what's on on deck for you? So I do a lot of speaking. Uh, I've been able to use this story, this journey to uh, hopefully for the, for the better uh, inspire and motivate people going through their challenges or just, you know, trying to get to the other side of something. I help athletes transition uh, based off of my finance background into um, things that they want to do post-playing. And with the amputation of my hand, uh, things I have a, a very sensitive spot to kids with amputation. So creating a charity to help them get their prosthetic devices paid for the three things I'll be focused on. That's great. That's great, man. I mean, this, this was awesome. I really enjoyed talking to you. Um, it's been, it was really cool talking about your journey and, and hearing what you're up to now. And it's, it's cool to, to also like learn about your transition after after the NFL. And obviously, like you know, there's, there's there's so much life ahead of you. And anyone who plays, even if you play 20 years in the NFL, you're still you know 35, 40 years old. And there's so much life ahead of you. So it's it's cool to see all the all the things you're doing as a speaker and a motivator, um, and in, in the business world as well. Um, anything else you you want to add? I appreciate add? that. Yeah. Anything else you want to add or uh, you want to tell the people? Uh, they can follow my journey on, on, on social media. Uh, all my uh, handles are at Iron Massacre. Mm-hmm. So uh, to, to keep up with some of these interesting things and, and fun things and life after this where I can be found. Awesome. And I'll put, I'll put your handle in the episode description. I'll, I'll shout you out on, on Instagram and Twitter and everything um, and, and your website as well. But, you know, follow us. It's at, at Sideline Hustle. And I think you'll enjoy it, man. I'd be really mm-hmm. curious to hear your thoughts. Like I said, it's a lot of wide receiver technique that has just blown up on Twitter and, and really given me some recognition and allowed me to build this business. So I think it would be very cool for you as such a successful receiver to hear your, your insight on some of the content I'm creating. And, and I'd love to – I'm going to go find some Browns film and some Georgia film of you and make and, – and cut up a T-shape as a way to kind of promote this podcast. So I think, I think that'll be cool. But, uh, you know, definitely would, would love to stay in touch. would love to have you on the show again. I think this, this is a lot of fun and we could dive deeper into – you know, kind of some receiver play and some, some football talk next time around. For sure. I look forward to it. All right, Mo. I appreciate it, man. Have a great day. All right, you do the same. God bless you. Tell me how you feel right now, because all I want to do is keep it real right now. I'm trying to beat it up, beat pills right now. Athletic in the sheets, I got skills right now. Red bread with some red baby hair. Balling in that club, it's a speed hour. Pop that bitch and spread like Ray. Yellow diamonds on you like a glass of lemonade. Have a good, have a good time. Let go. Let go. Let go. That's all we've got.
lot. Hope you guys enjoyed this special edition of the Sideline Hustle podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed listening to this interview as much as I enjoyed hosting it and talking with Mo and even re-listening to it was was so great just to hear all the insight he, he could provide and what an unbelievable journey he's had thus far. And, and, you know, I'm really excited to see what the future holds for Muhammad because I think he's really destined to do great things and, and affect a lot of people in, in a positive way. So definitely follow him on Instagram and Twitter at Iron Massaqua. Again, those links will be in the episode description. You can follow him directly. Uh, I, I'm going to do a couple posts about him on Instagram and Twitter. Definitely going to make up some teach tapes this week uh, just to kind of showcase his game and wh- what he was like as a player because I remember he was just he was a great player in college and, and had a really successful early career in the NFL. Uh, so, so you know, hopefully we can have him back on the podcast. We'd love to talk more about route running and dive even deeper into some of the stuff that we, we started to talk about. Stay tuned. You know, you know, stay in the loop with everything we're doing at Sideline Hustle on Instagram and Twitter. I'm going to be posting a lot of content about Mo. Uh, we'll have another Throwback Thursday podcast coming to you guys this Thursday um, and, and just teach tapes every single day and, can, and continue to try and put out great content. If you need to get in touch with me directly, Twitter, Instagram, DMs, those are the best places. I've been responding to everything on there. Let me know what you guys think. Let me know what you want to hear next. And we'll keep the ball rolling. I will see you guys soon. Peace.